0: And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every X-Men story from A to Z.
1: I'm Adam.
0: And I'm Zach. And you know what that music at the start of our show means, Adam?
1: It means something amazing, Zach.
0: It means something spectacular,
1: Adam. It means something web of, Zach.
0: (laughs) It means something Peter Parker the spectacular, Adam. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so we're going to talk about (laughs) Spider-Man, right, Zach?
0: Did you run out of Spider-Man titles?
1: I was going to say superior, but, you know, we might as well just jump into it.
0: Because we got superior. We got avenging, I think, was a thing. Uh, I think that's about it. There's a
1: lot of Spider-Man stuff. Spider-Man
0: uses a lot of adjectives. Yes. Uh, We're talking about Spidey today. I hope you've heard of him. He's very nice. Uh, Mm -hmm. They make waffles of him, and my son has eaten eight of those today.
1: Ooh, I want to eat Spider-Man waffles. That sounds delicious.
0: They are very bad, but for some reason, like (laughs) he gets into weird eating habits. And today he just kept eating Spider-Man waffles. And since he is a small boy who is not overweight by any stretch of the imagination, and he's two, I said, yeah, you're probably fine to
1: eat. You go for it, buddy.
0: But do you know why we're talking about Webhead waffles and other assorted spiders, men
1: well, I believe we have a Patreon request. Is that right?
0: We do have a Patreon request. Our pal, Nicole e. Raymond, went on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. He decided that I, I, and I being Nicolai here, want to support a show that I enjoy. So I am going to toss in as little as two mo- bucks a month and get an entire episode created around something that came out of my brain. This is something that Nicole, I said, was a story that he remembers when he was first getting into comics that he wanted to hear us talk about. And it's tangentially related to the X-Men because their name is in the title. (laughs) And that is X-Men slash Spider-Man from the year 2009. Not from 2099 as one of my co-hosts may have thought.
1: Yes, it was a little bit hilarious uh trying to find the X-Men 2099 Spider-Man 2099 crossover that does not exist. Um so it was, it was a relief Look, to know that here's I Here's the thing. Here's the, the wrong thing. thing.
0: <laughs> if there was an X-Men Spider-Man 2099 crossover, that would be stories 2 and 3 on this list. Let me tell you <laughs> what we'd be talking about. That's so hard. But sadly, um they, they only had one kind of crossover and it's not good and it's technically an alternate version of 2099 so who cares
1: yeah well i'm kind of surprised that this particular four issues doesn't get into that because it covers four separate eras of x-men and spider-man um it's an interesting way that they put it together yeah
0: this is very similar to the wildcats x-men crossover in that it takes place during different eras so you've got a silver age story a bronze age story a 90s story and then at the time a contemporary story so a 2009 era it tells a little bit of each thing all going to this overarching plot thread of Craven the hunter you're aware of craving the hunter right
1: oh yes the greatest hunter of all time who squirrel girl recently convinced to go hunt sea monsters I believe. Uh, but then he popped back up, but I haven't read the other arc that he that he was oh in. Oh my
0: gosh, Adam,
1: it's so good.
0: Like, <laughs> I'm, guys, I don't talk about this a bunch, but there are, I guess there are four comics that I read that are not X-Men every month. Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Ms. Marvel, Runaways and Moon Knight, which is, I mean, like in my past times, the last issue comes out tomorrow. So I'm no longer reading that every month. Uh, but Unbeatable Squirrel Girl is consistently charming and very, very good. And that story about Craven the Hunter is good. Uh I'm just gonna say one thing about that Craven the Hunter story for our fans. Adam, please plug your ears here because I don't want you okay. to be spoiled on this.
1: La 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 la.
0: Mojo <laughs> 2, the sequel shows up.
1: <laughs> I couldn't help but hear that. That sounds awesome. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, Craven the Hunter is um uh involved in this story. Mr. Sinister is involved in the story and it does have a very weird sort of uh similarity to that Wildcat's X-Men story that we read recently because it involves Sinister collecting DNA through Craven of the X-Men um and eventually creating a a Craven clone. Uh, that's sort of a sinister craven clone. It, it's some weird. It's a stuff.
0: combination of Kraven, the original X Men, Mister Sinister, the Carnage, mm-hmm. and it looks like Hulk Verine. Like it looks like <laughs> Weapon H, but yes. worse.
1: Yeah. So uh, I wanna... we should
0: mention that this was written by Christos Gage with yes. pencils by Mario Alberti.
1: Yeah, and I, I, that's where I want to start is because um, I think the art here in all four issues is absolutely gorgeous. The amount of detail that's on every page is kind of astounding um, and does a, a really great job of capturing the characters. Um I just, I was very in love with the artwork and these issues. Um, even if the story is not like the greatest thing in the world, it's kind of cool to see an artist tackle these multiple eras um, for an overarching story.
0: Yeah. The art, the art's really the selling point of this. Uh, they were even uh, when they were publicizing this as kind of a prestige thing because Mario is a uh, European, he's an Italian artist. Uh, but he just hadn't done much for Marvel. I'm not sure he's done anything else from Marvel since.
1: Yeah, it it has uh, almost like a, a Mobius kind of look to it. Um, it definitely feels a little European in the in mm-hmm. the designs of it, but it, it's just fantastic. So, you know, I'm willing to forgive some of the uh, emptiness of the story. It's really just an opportunity to kind of poke in to the different continuities of the X Men and the Spider Man um the first issue is like you said is silver age second issue we get into we just covered mutant massacre recently and this is in the wake of that um the third issue is 90s x-men and then in the fourth issue we get sort of the the 2009 status quo
0: yeah it's it's odd i think so i think for as good as the art is the writing is equally uh not because I don't think it effectively captures any of those eras. Mm. And I think the overarching plot feels very dumb. Like
1: <laughs> I was on board. I, I didn't hate it. I just think that once we get to a point where we are checking in with Ben Riley and carnage, I'm like, where is this going? You know? And yeah, that the culmination of this whole thing is, how do you even pronounce it it's craven but there's an x instead of a k zraven zraven maybe Um, x raven yeah it's it's funny but it doesn't feel like the kind of book that necessarily should be funny
0: it's total Um, whiplash it really is like yeah to to bring it back to weapon h to Mm -hmm. hulk verene hulk verene was marketed way more seriously than the than the weapons of mutant destruction or whatever mm-hmm. uh, played it up as like in, in context of the story, it's a little silly, campy story, but all of the covers and all the marketing played it up as Hulk Marine is this big thing in yeah. this real serious thing. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the opposite problem. It plays up. This story as a pretty serious prestige story, but the end result is. Mr. Sinister makes a mutant hunter that is Craven and the original X-Men and Sinister and Carnage.
1: <laughs> right. And it's Which very then, dumb. Yeah, and the resolution of the story is that the, the X-Men basically tease it to go and kill Sinister. And it um, was
0: never seen again. Right, I like to right. assume that he's Sinister and he looked at it and he said, well, you don't think I didn't have a contingency for you? And it died <laughs> and he said, let's forget about this Decades-long plan I had
1: yeah. Yep. So, uh, overall it's goofy. However, I think it's absolutely worth checking out for, uh, the artwork alone. I mean, it, it's, it's just stunning. It's gorgeous.
0: Yeah. So where do you, uh, where do you feel like it falls on this list?
1: Well, I mean, I'm kind of looking, uh, around at 90, we have X-Men versus the Agents of Atlas, which was another one with with some really striking artwork, but was not exactly like the most memorable story of all time. Um, would would you say it goes lower than that?
0: I think it goes lower than that. I think this, from being an X-Men story, is probably better than 102 of, which is, or I'm sorry, 10. 100 oh i can't read this list right now uh <laughs> ultimate spider-man 66 and 67 jump the shark
1: ah okay i
0: don't know if it's that much better than it though
1: no um well like
0: i i think i i think i like generation next from phalanx covenant more
1: yeah no i would i would say that especially because it's the lead into generation x um i would almost say i like negative zone war were better than this um how do you think it would stack up against like Phoenix Resurrection?
0: I think Phoenix Resurrection has some problems, but I think this is just a bit better than that overall.
1: All right. Well, then that's the art's be... very
0: good. X Raven is very bad. <laughs> yeah. The Raven. Raven. Yeah. Shaven. Nope.
1: Fun. Fun story with uh, maybe not not the best payoff. So what does Zaven? that make us?
0: I it's think real... that's. Guys, look, someone (laughs) gets Christos' (laughs) age on the phone, because I don't know how any of these consonants go together.
1: No, I don't either, but that's okay.
0: But I think this is our new number 93 on this list. Yes. Spider-Man slash X-Men from the year 2009. So for our next two stories, they deal with a lot of minutia of Spider-Man history, and we're an X-Men podcast, aren't we, Adam?
1: Yeah, I feel like we could use a, uh, a spider expert to uh, Peter Parker explain to us what's kind of going on with Spider-Man and some different eras. Uh, do we know anybody like that? I think we do. I think that coming to us from
0: the Amazing Spider Talk podcast, we've got Dan Gavazdin. Dan, how you doing today?
2: I'm doing really well, mainly because I'm here with you guys. Ah, Welcome, Dan. Thanks so much.
0: Now, Dan, for people who don't know, you or the Amazing Spider Talk, Superior Spider Talk, whole network of Spider-Man-based fandom. Why don't you you tell us a little bit about
2: that? Sure. And I I love that you include even our our name mix-up. Yeah, we are the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. That's kind of the main thing that we do. It's a bi-weekly show, meaning every other week. Um, We do a show that kind of looks through the history of the character, starting from the very beginning. Uh, We're kind of in our third season now, or just starting up the third season, um, where we're dealing with kind of the transition to the Bronze Age. And, uh, you know, we do new issue reviews of new Spider-Man comics, looks back at the history with guests from all the creators that have worked on Spider-Man, you know, uh, this series is going to be particularly jerry conway focused and he's a big mm-hmm. uh, guest on our show um and so you know that's our our kind of premiere podcast is the amazing spider talk formerly known as you said as the superior spider talk uh because we started it in the superior era not realizing that we would go on to do it for as long as we have done it now uh which is <laughs> yeah, five years never
0: end as soon as you expect them to do they <laughs>
2: No, I know. My co-host, Mark, uh, said, like, if I'm still doing this in five years, something has gone horribly wrong. And <laughs> uh, you know what? I'll let uh, history be the judge of that, but uh, we're still going strong. Um, so that's kind of our main podcast. We've got a couple of, like, spinoff shows that have borne out of us. The Ultimate Spin, which covers Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy. And uh, our new show, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man, which is a lot of, like you guys, uh, it's kind of diving into the, the, like maybe forgotten comics of Spider-Man lore and kind of ranking them uh, from, I guess the ones that need to be reprinted and the ones that are best left untold. So, <laughs> well, and, uh, and
1: strangely enough, I, I know about that because I guessed it on that show uh, not too long ago. So uh, I'm, I'm familiar with that one
2: awesome yeah those were great episodes you did um (laughs) what books were you covering again
1: i just did uh we did a a marvel team up annual where the x-men meet spider-man um and it's really bad (laughs) it was really (laughs) bad the episode was great but the issue was terrible
2: well that seems to be a lot of the case for that show uh (laughs) i think they're doing slingers (laughs) month right now and I don't know. I know that one of the hosts is particularly in love with that book, but it is not a favorite of mine.
1: Oh, boy. Are are you talking
0: about the book where Spider-Man was accused of murder and then created four not-Spider-Man identities? And then those identities became superheroes?
2: That that exact one. It sounds like an X-Men plot if I ever heard one. (laughs) Uh, I've never
0: read a single page of it, but... As listeners of this show may remember or may not, it's more of a childhood memory of mine than something to be shared with all of you, but you know, I a lot of my X-Men fandom came from the DK Ultimate Guide to X-Men, which was this big color illustrated kids book that went over all of X-Men history, which frankly as I say it out loud sounds real daunting to give to a 10-year-old. Uh, <laughs> but I also had the equivalent Spider-Man one and I was fascinated by the concept of the slingers and what happened with it. Not fascinated enough to ever read it, but it said, oh, that ricochet design kind of looks neat.
2: Well, that's so, that's so funny about it. It's like, he created these like, th- you know, kind of throwaway costumes to throw the scent off of him. And like, I always thought the intent was that the costumes look terrible. Uh, like that was the whole idea. And, and yet they've got this life of their own. People love those costumes. So what do I know?
0: Hey, well, what you do anything. know about is, uh, x-men well probably not actually spider-man x-men is our thing i'm just very used to saying that word uh and one of the stories we wanted you to uh maybe enlighten us a bit about is spider-man versus wolverine by jim owsley and mark bright
2: there is so much to talk about with this issue especially in terms of spider-man lore and behind the scenes drama um actually something we really got into on my show recently in our 200th episode because we had the writer of this book uh jim owsley also known as christopher priest on our show to talk exactly about this um but yeah i mean what how familiar with this book are you guys
1: are you saying that owsley is christopher priest did i wait do you
2: not know that
1: I did not know that, but I'm I'm yeah, a dumb girl, uh, when so. he got
0: when he got divorced, uh, he said something to the effect of if I ever get divorced, I'm going to you know become a priest or something or his ex-wife did or something like that. And uh, anyway, he took that to heart and rebranded himself.
1: Fascinating. I'm sorry. Please continue.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, if you didn't know that, then you are in for some some interesting tidbits here.
1: This is a weird issue. This is a very strange he- one shot.
0: I mean, this is the first big meetup between, you know, just Spider-Man and Wolverine. It digs into Wolverine's history a little bit. It has a very specific place in Spider-Man continuity because a lot of things happen here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got this kind of Mary Jane relationship that's going on where Peter doesn't really want to acknowledge that, you know, she's his girlfriend. This is kind of right after she comes back into his life and tells him about her kind of sordid past with her family and kind of tells him that she's known that he's Spider-Man. And you've got uh, stuff with the Hobgoblin. You've got, you know, all kinds of things converging at once. The black costume, the red costume. Like there's so much Spider-Man stuff going on in this book that whether it happens in this book or it happens as a result of this book um it, it, it ends up making this more than just a meetup with Wolverine it, which is already very interesting mm-hmm. that's not to well, mention and, and that spider-man murders someone
1: I was gonna say uh, yeah that is the real takeaway from this book uh is that spider-man clocks uh someone to death um albeit accidentally but it, it's Sort of sticking with him as we get to the credits there.
2: Right. Murder by Spider-Man is what we got here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So this is this is a story about, you know, there is a someone from Wolverine's past named Charlemagne who he knew back in his spy days who has resurfaced and gets the attention of the bugle and of Spider-Man. So Spider-Man gets sent to Germany and ends up teaming up with Wolverine, who. Apparently, it turns out that Charlemagne was a friend of his, and she uh, is dying, and Wolverine wants to mercy kill her. Spider-Man doesn't like it, and then Spider-Man accidentally mercy kills her?
2: Yep, you 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 nailed it. Um, but one thing you're forgetting is Spider-Man takes a friend along with him on the trip, oh. none other than Ned Leeds. And not the mean, Ned Leeds that you're thinking about from Homecoming, who's you actually mean not Genki. Genki. Not ganky, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, this is the actual Ned Leeds husband to Betty Brant, Spider-Man's first love interest, um, who was, I guess, stolen away by Ned Leeds. Um, and he, uh, much suspected to be the Hobgoblin, comes along the t- on the trip and is murdered, like, off-panel? Like, he just, Spider-Man comes home and there's there Dead is. Ned Leeds with his yep. yeah neck slit.
0: That feels like it should be more important. Like I, I have, I am not that familiar with this era of Spider-Man, but I know the Hobgoblin mystery was a big thing. I knew that Ned Leeds was, you know, like a not a minor character. He'd been a Spider-Man character for a while. It feels like killing a pretty significant
2: supporting character should be more important than this. It really should, but um I can get into that rabbit hole whenever you guys are ready. But I, I I'm kind of curious to hear what you guys think about this issue just overall.
1: Well, I think it's interesting in general, like where this falls on the Wolverine timeline. We're a year out uh from his volume two ongoing that then heads into the nineties. Um and we're digging into Wolverine's spy past, but I, you know it's very inconsequential like we're, we're not really talking about a story with a lot of substance as many wolverine mystery backstories go um and the whole thing with charlie just it doesn't really ring true i mean it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense to me zach what do you think about that
0: i think this is a bad comic and wolverine's kind of written like a dick in this whole thing and i don't care about this backstory if this one spy that he knew It's just, it's all weird. I don't, this is a weird story. Like priest is better than this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think in general, the thing is just kind of poorly written. Um, You know, Charlie's my best friend, but I don't see Charlie in a while. I save Charlie, you know, it it just, uh, that whole back and forth about who this character is. And we're never really given motivation as to why we're supposed to care about her. And then Spider-Man kills her. So it's more, it's more about Spider-Man and what his reaction is to having done this terrible thing than it is about that character and whatever her value was. Um, So, you know, for, for this being 60 odd pages long, there's not a lot to it either, um, which, which is frustrating.
2: The X-Men are I wouldn't say like a to- total blind spot for me. Like it's definitely something that I'm catching up on rapidly on my Marvel unlimited. Um, you know, my knowledge of them really starts with the nineties cartoon and builds from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with, I'm sure a lot of people have that similar uh, story. Oh, yeah. um, and I've been working my way back. I'm actually reading the Stan Lee originating run right now. Um, oh, I'm I I'm sorry, trying to flesh out my yeah there's a lot of weird sexism and stuff but there's some fun things too like i just read the blob issue and i thought that was kind of fun yeah yeah there's um, some good silver
1: age villain stuff there but the most of it's terrible
2: yeah well you know it is what it is um yeah. but uh you know i have not gotten deep into the claremont stuff yet so i guess i you know my my knowledge of wolverine is uh, in that era and it's kind of rebirth is a little bit n- limited so like, I read this and I was like, well, you know, I, I don't know if this is incorrect to Wolverine's character. Was he written this way? Is Charlemagne someone that I should know? Um, you know, reading this as like a non X Men person, I thought, well, it's an interesting exploration into how these two characters are different in their approach and ideas about the world, but also have kind of like a shared trauma to, that kind of binds them mm-hmm. together. Um, you know, the Spider Man Wolverine team up has kind of become one of the classic ones in Marvel comics. Right. Um, I'm thinking about things like astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, which I love. Yes. Um, uh, so uh, I don't know. So it, it, uh, answer you seem to be answering my question and maybe you'd be more definite about it. Like is Charlemagne someone we should know and d- does this characterization of Wolverine ring true at all?
0: It, this, this issue really feels like it came out of the Spider-Man office. <laughs> and did not really checking in on what Claremont was doing
1: no I mean we're in an era where Wolverine still would have like disappeared during X-Men to go off on a side adventure um like you did for his mini uh with Frank Miller but we're still slightly before where it's acceptable for Wolverine to be on the X-Men and still be in madripoor all the time as his uh alter ego patch as happens in his ongoing um so well and
0: i think what's important about this is yeah. this would be before you get pretty much any backstory on wolverine yes yep like this is so- pre. this is before you even know that wolverine fought world war ii right. Like this is you know that he was a secret agent once and that's it
1: yep Yeah. So you don't need to know any of this. Um, This never comes back up uh, to my knowledge and uh, it's not particularly important or, you know, effective in talking about Wolverine or his backstory.
2: Well, that's funny because this, this moment very rarely comes back up in Spider-Man lore too, that, that he like, you know, like accidentally, you know, assist aided in someone's suicide by superhero Um, and except for like very few instances, like Dan Slott's, uh, no one dies arc where Spider-Man's kind of confronted by all the people that have died under his purview. You know, there's this random character of Charlemagne that steps up and says, you killed me, you know? And (laughs) I think for like the average reader, probably reading that was like, what is going on? Like you killed, he killed a woman. When did that happen? Well, it's in this obscure or maybe not so obscure Spider-Man versus Wolverine comic from, you know, ages ago. Um, so, you know, it, it has gotten referenced at least once or twice in other places, but um, you know, I think most people like to kind of just like brush aside, like Spider-Man doesn't kill and he hasn't killed. And yeah, this isn't really technically him trying to kill someone, although he admits that he wants to try to kill Wolverine, um, whether or not he would go through it through with it or not. Um so I mean on that aspect that's very rarely brought up in Spider-Man history, although the rest of this book has huge ramifications for Spider-Man's history.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ned Leeds was like a bigger character than an off-screen death, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. He was for a long time I wouldn't say he was like like Flash Thompson, Harry Osborne, Gwen Stacy, Mary Jane level, you know, but he was a consistent you know, like B character in, in in the book, you know, um, and his kind of marital issues with Betty are more like Betty's marital issues with him because she was constantly cheating on him, even trying to cheat on him with Peter, um, which is a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, Ned was a, a pretty constant, um, you know, character, especially at this point in time, because this was during the Hobgoblin era, and that was like everything in spider-man comics was the hobgoblin he's the hottest you know character villain big mystery for a long time and ned Leeds is one of the lead suspects so so just you know like to kind of have him die off screen was or off panel rather was uh was a bit shocking
1: Hmm. well it it i'm getting the sense that uh this isn't serving either fan base terrifically well um I, I think we might want to get into the ranking of this. So I'm kind of curious and, and Dan bear with us here. Cause what I'm about to say is going to sound incredibly insane. Uh, Zach, how do you think this might stack up to something like uh, the Wolverine sentient cocaine story?
0: This isn't as good as that.
1: <laughs> no, it's not. I'm glad you said that. Cause I know I've had to defend that story before. Dan, have no, you ever read that
2: story? no i can't say that i have because i think something like that would ring a bell
1: <laughs> it's it's yeah, bananas you if you get the chance
2: do you guys um, want to know uh about the editorial office stuff that went behind this book yes
1: oh sure i yeah, want that please. drama
2: it's incredibly dramatic do you want me to have like a segue to that or just yes keep going
1: this is dan's hot cor- uh hot take corner let's let's get the deep Deep reporting here.
2: Okay. So, um, you know, this Ned Leeds thing would eventually kind of like unravel in like a huge way in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. But there's a lot of history that kind of goes into getting us to this point. Um, now, I don't know. Have you guys read Amazing Spider-Man in any kind of depth? Not in this not era. In
0: the 80s stuff. Yeah. Okay. Not, well, um...
2: you really ought to because it's really quite good. I would say one of the best runs of Spider-Man is the Roger Stern, John Romita Jr. run um on the book and um it didn't last terribly long it's like 20 to 30 issues or so and one of the kind of like things that roger stern most famously did was introduce the hobgoblin and the mystery behind who is the hobgoblin you know we see a mysterious figure discover you know one of the green goblin weapon caches that's hidden throughout the city and assume the mantle of this hobgoblin that begins terrorizing everybody's lives in uh new york particularly around spider-man and roger stern you know he left a bunch of clues as to who this character was he introduced this character uh roderick kingsley in the pages of spectacular spider-man before he was the amazing spider-man writers and it was he was like this effeminate uh like fashion businessman um who was in like an issue or two and you wouldn't really think much of But when he got on Amazing Spider-Man, he reintroduced this character who would ultimately go on to be revealed in the 90s as the Hobgoblin. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, in the meantime, you know, Roger Stern's book was so huge, Marvel eventually told him, like, we want you to write The Avengers. So he gave up Spider-Man and went on to write The Avengers and, you know, was followed up by Tom DeFalco writing the book and Ron Friend's doing uh the pencils and you know they met with stern and 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 stern said well who do you think the hobgoblin is and tom defalco put forward a guess you know and and stern said no that's not that's not who it is it's Roderick kingsley this kind of effeminate businessman who has no real like uh like superpowers or anything like that and and tom defalco said you know, like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, like, <laughs> uh, like, I don't really want it to be that character. And Ron Friends and Tom Falco decided that um, the Hobgoblin was going to be uh, Richard Fisk, Kingpin's son,
1: um, mm-hmm.
2: who was kind of using it as a way to kind of, like, wage gang war on all these other gang leaders. Um, the other one being this character named The Rose. Um, do you guys, are you familiar with The Rose?
0: Isn't the rose for Richard Fisk?
2: Well, that's the thing. The rose ultimately ended up being Richard Fisk. But his plan was to make the rose Roderick Kingsley because the rose is kind of a fashionista kind of guy. And he's kind of effeminate in some ways. And he's like always cutting roses apart and smelling them. It seemed to fit with the Roderick Kingsley character. And so they just said, this just makes so much more sense to have it like this. Um, and so that was their plan for a long time. And eventually the group editor on the book changed. And Danny Fingeroth came to be the group editor on the Spider-Man books. And there was this new guy, uh, um, Jim Owsley, who was this y- really young guy who they thought mm-hmm. was a great talent. And Danny said, you know what? Like, I need some help on these Spider-Man books. I'll make him an editor and get let him kind of, you know, cut his teeth working on the Spider-Man books. All these books are being handled by such amazing professionals, including like, say, Peter David on Spectacular Spider-Man that like nobody could screw this up, right? Like it'll really help him more than he'll be helping everybody else. But it became this huge battleground where uh, Jim, aka Christopher Priest, decided like, I'm the top guy here and I can really like push my own weight around and really you know make these books be what i want them to be and he would get into these huge fights with tom defalco and ron friends and jim shooter like told him a number of times he he reportedly says to fire tom defalco and ron friends and it became this like big battleground and it all centered around this hobgoblin reveal um and reportedly priest didn't like tom defalco and ron Friend's plans And at the time, they were really fingering Ned Leeds to be uh, the, you know, the scapegoat for the Hobgoblin until they revealed their ultimate plan. So, um, you know, Jim uh, decided that he was going to just mess with them. So he wrote this book, Spider-Man vs. Wolverine, and for no reason, like you you guys have read it, Ned is kind of just randomly in there. Like he doesn't serve much of a point to the overall story. Like, he just decides, I'm going to kill Ned Leeds just to screw with their plans oh my for God. their book. So he does, right? And, he, and then he decides, like Tom DeFalco said, um, and, and he fires them right before doing this book, right? <laughs> okay, because Tom DeFalco says, if he had done that when I was writing this book, I would have killed him. So then Peter David gets you know, brought onto the book and is told, like, you're going to clean up this mess. You know who do you uh, you know think that the uh, hobgoblin should be, and Peter David had been working on this story about the foreigner, and he said, well, it should be the foreigner. The foreigner should be the hobgoblin, and you know Jim, in this deep mess now, says, well, it can't be the foreigner because the 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 pitch to the fans was that the hobgoblin was a character that had always been around. Since you know, like it'd been a character that was in the established, you know, uh gallery of Spider-Man characters, uh, you know, when when the Hob- first Hobgoblin story was released, and the Foreigner was too new for that, so it couldn't be the Foreigner. So they came to an agreement. Ned Leeds would be the Hobgoblin, and the people that killed him would be the Foreigner and his g- and his gang. Oh so God. then Peter David writes into Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, much to the hatred of everybody involved, especially Roger Stern, that Ned Leeds was always the Hobgoblin. And what we saw in the pages of this book was him after the foreigner had confronted him about being the Hobgoblin and killed him. So you've got this multiple year story that everybody was excited about with the Hobgoblin being resolved off panel and in like a retcon. Wow. Yeah. Now, wow. it wasn't it wasn't until the 90s that Roger Stern came back with Ron Friends and they allowed him to clean up the whole mess and make it Roderick Kingsley again with the help of his brother, who's not his twin, but kind of is. It's complicated, um, but it's much better than it ultimately was. But this book was like a linchpin of like that whole undoing and Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends kind of being booted off of the Spider-Man series. Now, ultimately, they would go to work on Spider-Girl for 100-plus issues together. Um, But, like, they have one of the best runs of Spider-Man brought to an end for no real apparent reason. Um, So, yeah, you know, like, this book is like a linchpin. And that story, in the Spider-Man getting married saga, like, all of this is, like, born out of this one random team-up book.
1: Wow. So not only are both of these characters kind of written a little bit off but this is sort of like editorial and, and writer revenge uh you know to sort of get even to figure out what's going on with these characters that's crazy
0: this must it be is. how my wife feels anytime i talk about x-men
2: because <laughs> <laughs> did, did i totally lose you i no, mean I, I, followed I followed it that. I followed that. wow that's a lot Yeah, Yeah. I hope I didn't bore people. I know that it can be a lot, but Mark and I, it's one of the biggest, he's my co-host. It's one of the biggest mysteries that we've been seeking to kind of like unravel on our show. Since like the third episode of our show, we've been interviewing people involved with this. And we never, we could never get Christopher Priest to talk about it until we kind of tricked him into talking about it for our 200th episode at a con. Um, and he went on the record and, and was like, "I never planned for Ned Leeds to be the Hobgoblin, but wow. it ended up being that way." And it's like, "Well, yeah, but you need to take some responsibility." <laughs> That's a whole thing.
1: Wow. All right. Well, thank you for that that oral history, man. That was that was pretty intense.
2: Yeah. And meanwhile, when we were talking to him, Ron Friends was like an aisle over from us, like seething. You know? <laughs> so you know, like uh, it's it's complex. I love it. <laughs> more more for that, like that on the Amazing Spider Talk, if you if that vaguely interests you. So that's fascinating. That's fantastic.
1: I, now now that you say it, said all that about the book, uh, Zach, I'm starting to look at a different part of the list, um, which is at 121, we have that X-Men versus the Avengers thing that had all of that editorial weirdness around it, um, with the writer switch on the fourth issue. Um where where are you looking on this list?
0: I was I was looking pretty much right there.
1: Okay. All right. This
0: um is, this is I was looking around there. I don't think it's as good as X-Men versus Avengers.
1: No, and I don't more
0: because of this list. It's not as good because this is an X-Men focused list and the X-Men side of this is written not great. Yeah. But yep. I think I think this is probably better than like uh, the Children of the Atom story at 126.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair um is,
0: is it better than uh quanon, which is another ridiculous retcon
1: no i I think the quanon stuff is still f- like it, it's dumb but it has some fun to it um but this might be better than storm volume three number three life death perfect 3. yeah
0: perfect it can be okay, our new number 124 on our list spider-man versus wolverine
1: wow man we just learned a lot so thank you for that um
2: I'm so glad I could bring it to you. Yeah. That's fantastic.
1: One more Spidey story here that involves an ex-character. So what's the last one?
0: Dan, you actually suggested this one. This is not one I had read, but this is Amazing Spider-Man number 92 When Iceman Attacks by Stan (laughs) Lee and Gil Kane.
2: I, I like this one because it's a bit of an oddity. Um, you know, like this is during the Stan Lee John Romita senior run of Amazing Spider Man, but you got towards the end of the run some of these fill in artists, and here you've got Gil Kane doing his first, you know, kind of early work on Spider Man. Um, and you know, and you've got an X Man showing up for the first time if you don't count Quicksilver in the pages of a Spider Man comic, or at okay. least Amazing Spider Man. Uh, yeah, and- I
0: believe they showed up in an early uh, uh,
2: Marvel team-up with spider right. I'm talking about Amazing Spider-Man probably. Right. Sure. Marvel team-up stuff, it's such a loose continuity thing. You know, <laughs> like, uh, sometimes it counts, it seems. I don't really know. But for me, like, reading Amazing Spider-Man, this is kind of like the first real Spider-Man, like, one-on-one team-up with an X-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean whatever. History is history. Yes, there was a comic with them together prior to this, for sure.
1: Yeah, and this is um, sort of uh, amazing friends with, uh, without Firestar. So yeah. uh, we get to start establishing this friendship here. I like this issue quite a bit. Um, I, I think that what I liked about it wasn't necessarily the fact that Iceman is there, because he's sort of... Oh, a, no,
0: Iceman's worthless in this.
1: He's Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's just sort of a, you know, a stand-in antagonist. But the... You know, we we talk regularly about this issue of people claiming that comics were apolitical at some point. And this is a great example of why that is just such an idiotic statement. Um, this whole story with Bullet and, uh, you know, the Daily Bugle staff taking it to him and and really digging deep on his backstory. It, that's the highlight for me here is um, is them calling him out on this stuff. I, I, I really enjoyed that part of the story.
2: Right. This is like Stanley getting into his, you know, most political. you know, a few issues later, you know, like we would get, you know, Stanley breaking the comics code for the drug issues and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like he is really kind of like this is like part of his most dialed in and in, in regards to, you know, like these kind of things. there's like the crisis on campus issue that's, you know, around this time where it's about like riots on, on Empire State University's campus, right, right. you know, and we get it a lot of race uh, issues and you get a little bit of that here. Um, you know uh, I think it's less defined than that, but like, it's definitely like a Richard Nixon uh, criticism um, in this book. You know, you've got this kind of corrupt, uh, you know, DA, uh, Sam bullet, or he's running for DA who is, um you know, running on law and order. Sound familiar? Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, to me, that's the highlight of this issue. Did you guys go back and read issue 91 by any chance? I
0: didn't um, get a chance to, though I will say this, reading this issue made me say, you know, I should probably go read those uh those Stan Lee Spider-Man stories. I hear they're pretty good.
2: They are my favorite. They're so great. And and you can listen to into our show and follow along. Like, plug, plug, plug. Here we go. <laughs> um. Uh. But uh. Yeah. I, I, that's my favorite part of this issue. But it, I think it is notice notable that you've got like this kind of Iceman. And in many ways, this feels like a Marvel team up book. Other than the Stan Lee isms, like you've got the classic misunderstanding that ultimately leads to, you know, a team up between these characters. Um. I, mm-hmm. I. I was curious to hear from you guys since I've read this issue so much, like about the depiction of Iceman and his powers in this. You know, was this contemporary, like, was this an upgrade for the character?
0: Well, I think it's interesting the timing of this. So this comic came out in 71, which at the time X-Men wasn't being published, not Mm -hmm. as a, not as a monthly series. It was in reprints. So I mean, Marvel had no idea what to do with the X-Men at this point. They were a failed property. They knew some of the later stuff sold pretty decently after it got canceled so they didn't want to immediately kill everything but they didn't know how to revive it and they they would stay in that limbo until 75 now iceman in particular they i think they saw hey we could probably use this character somewhere so you, that's where you start to see him getting thrown on things like the champions a couple right. of years later yep but it's you know it's them trying to keep the property you know gauge any interest they had i know there was a chart that was floating around a while a while ago that was like mid 70s who are our important characters at marvel like who's our a characters our b characters our c characters and it ranks them all and mm-hmm. spider-man's number one i mean i think that's that's pretty obvious uh it, but the x-men are all pretty much at the bottom of the list except for beast who's slightly higher because he was on the avengers mm-hmm. mm. so i think this was this was interesting it's stan writing Iceman again but he's silver age iceman and doesn't have too much of a character he's he's johnny storm but with ice
1: yeah, yeah and I
2: that's also, pretty accurate
1: yeah and i i think it's interesting that you know here in 2018 i think many of us are going back and looking at silver age iceman um and starting to look for some of the things that maybe bendis was looking at that preceded his you know decision to go ahead um and and bring bobby out of the closet um so to have bobby starting this date uh starting you know his appearance here on a date and then quickly sort of throwing his date into a cab and changing into uh iceman and getting away from her is an interesting scenario You know, we we often see Bobby sort of being awkward around women, awkward around girls. And uh, it's just an interesting moment for the character before he gets into costume.
2: And 100% Bendis would have read a comic like this multiple times, given his, you know, work on Ultimate Spider-Man and kind of pulling and updating, you know, Stan Lee's run um, in in many ways. You know, and and the X-Men were such a big you know, factor in Bendis's ultimate Spider-Man run. You know, we have multiple arcs with them. You know, I, I got to think he would look back to an early Spider-Man X-Men team up to kind of, you know, uh, see, you know, what, what was the dynamic? Yeah.
0: Now I'll tell you what my favorite part of this issue is not necessarily uh, Spider-Man. It's not necessarily Iceman. It's uh, J. Jonah Jameson Jr. He's <laughs> very good at this.
2: <laughs> I always like the issues where uh, Jonah is allowed to not be just a blowhard. Like you see that he's got some kind of moralistic fiber that he can, uh, you know, swing around with the same kind of gusto that he attacks people, like you know, with or particularly Spider-Man with. Um, mm-hmm. like he can be a force for good as much as he could be a force for nuisance for Spider-Man. Um, you know, and especially channeled through his partner Robbie uh, Robertson you know, it allows Jenna to be kind of like a, a forgive me, social justice warrior. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it gives both of them a chance to shine here a little bit. And especially that scene uh, where they confront Bullet uh, and talk about supporting Nelson uh, for DA, I, I think is is really great. It's also kind of fun to read that, um, seeing Foggy run for DA and Daredevil season three uh, that just came out. So uh, it's well great thank scene. you
0: adam i didn't know that was happening
1: me neither thanks adam what what episode are you on come on we
0: guys. just talked about this i'm only on episode
2: three
1: all right it happens i haven't in watched like,
2: any of it yet it
1: happens in like the next episode you, you, you're all fine right. it's not a huge plot point
2: i'm sorry uh, my life is ruined you're i mean this is coming me. out
1: this is coming out on thanksgiving everyone will have watched it by then yeah guys
2: <laughs> like no this is a spoiler because we
0: live in the far, far past. <laughs> we live in the before times where Daredevil's been out for four days. That's right. <laughs> but that's it's been fun. out for like a week.
1: All right, anyway. Um,
0: it came out on Friday!
1: Did anyway. All right, sorry. More free time, I guess. Um, <laughs> I like this story. I um, I like it as a Spider-Man story. I don't know if I love it as like an X-Men story, but it's, it's really fun. So... Where do you think this goes on our list, Zach?
0: I think this is better than Spider-Man versus Wolverine.
1: Definitely. Uh, so I'm going higher than that. Um, we have. I would
0: say I think we would all agree that this is better than the first two issues of Spider-Man and the X-Men, which some of us may have read recently on accident.
1: Yes, uh, Sauron <laughs> turning people into dinosaurs. Um, so where uh, where does that put us? We're up into the hundreds. Oh, here's or a good
0: one. Is this 100. better or worse than number 82 Web of Spider-Man Annual number 2? Um, which is the one where he teams up with Warlock.
1: You know, that's an interesting comparison too cuz Nocenti is kind of getting a little political there uh as she always does but about the animal rights issues and this issue has a, a similar political feel. Um, I I mean, that has that awesome art, Adam's art. It's it's a really fun Warlock showcase. I think that might be a little bit better um, from for my tastes. I like Warlock very, better than Iceman. So. Yeah, they're very comparable. So um, I guess the next question would be, is it better than the Jim Lee 275 era? I don't know if I could put it ahead of that. Here's what
0: I'd say. Here's what I'd say. Yeah, This is about on par with the continuities issue of X-Men First Class.
1: Yes, yes. That's a good place for it. Right in I'd there. I'd say
0: right below that, above men, because the art in here is right is real, real better than early life field.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you could hear some people arguing about all life, but uh, that, would, <laughs> that would not be me. Uh, so we're putting The Amazing Spider-Man... Number ninety-three at eighty-seven.
0: All right. Number eighty-seven. That is absolutely right. Awesome. And that is three up, three down. That is the end of this episode. I want to thank Dan so much for jumping in and providing a ton of fantastic insight on the history of the Spider-Man. The Spider Man, I guess.
2: You gave me an opportunity to talk about Spider-Man and Spider-Man and Wolverine's complicated history. So my the thanks is coming from me
0: well it's it's been great to have you now uh, if people people were intrigued by all of the insight on the spider-man history that you dumped on us uh where could people go to get more of that where can people find you
2: yeah well uh check us out on the amazing spider talk podcast which is found pretty much everywhere fine podcasts are found uh, i'm not saying ours is fine but it will be there and uh you can also follow me on twitter um at at sup spider talk uh which ended up working out as my twitter handle even though it was intended to be superior spider talk it's now just sup spider talk so who'd have thought that would all work out this way um yeah and i kind of like break talk about all things spider-man and and break down um, like Easter eggs I'm finding in the new issues by Nick Spencer uh, that are really there to test webheads like myself.
0: That's awesome. That is great. So yeah, guys, go check it out. I can tell you from experience, it's a, it's a pretty neat podcast and a pretty neat whole uh, social media empire to
2: you know, take a look at.
0: Uh, now, Adam. Oh,
2: thanks. That's really nice of you.
0: Oh, no problem. Now, Adam, where can where can the good folks find you in all of your assorted stuff and or things? All
1: right, guys. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacey, and we still have new pages of Bish and Jube's Attack on the Mansion every X-Men Monday at adamreck.tumblr.com. Zach, where can people find you? People can
0: find me and all of my assorted stuff and or things at xavierfiles.com. That's where you can get all the latest X-Men news, uh, some articles maybe, this podcast. It's just stuff you've You've seen it at this point. Uh, you can also follow me on uh, Twitter, at Xavier Files, where there's a lot of X-Men stuff. There's just, there's a lot, guys. And I talk <laughs> about it sometimes. Uh, but beyond all of that, you can also, if you liked what you heard, go on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Like Nicole Raymond, who requested that X-Men Spider-Man story. Uh, that kind of kicked off this whole episode, this whole escapade about different X-Men and Spider-Man team-ups. And I guess times they fought each other. Uh, but you can check that out. If you want to be like Nikolai, you can go over and subscribe at the $2 a month or higher level, and we'll we'll make a whole episode around you. It'll be pretty neat. You should do it. Uh, but I think that uh, that about wraps it up. Dan, one last time, thank you so much for being on. It was a real pleasure.
2: It was really fun, guys. Thanks Dan. All right.
0: Until next time. This has been Wait, what are we covering next time? We should probably mention that to the people. Oh, we're talking about the acolytes. Have you heard about them Adam? There's a lot.
1: Yes, uh there are a lot of acolytes and um I don't remember all their names. So <laughs> I was
0: I was talking I was talking to a friend of the show Luke Hare about Senyaka today. Ooh. Which I was able to spell on my first try, which tells me I know too much about the acolytes.
1: I think I can properly spell Amelia Vote uh, so I think we're mo- I'm, I'm doing okay there.
2: And this kind of discussion is why I have to listen to the show, because I have no idea who any of these people are.
0: <laughs> Most oh, they are Magneto's evil worship group. They're kind Which of like one? Magneto's praise band. Oh, I, they, they worship Magneto as opposed to just following him. It's a whole thing. 90s X-Men is buck wild.
2: 90s <laughs> everything is buck wild. We don't even want to get into 90s Spider-Man.
0: that's great until next time guys this has been bal the atom we hope you survived the experience